It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, it was a very rainy welcome, um, but, but warm just the same, as I see people fanning themselves. Uh, would you open your Bibles with me to Genesis? Genesis chapter 1. I grew up going to missions conferences, and I have to compliment y'all. This is the first conference that all the hymns have been unpredictable. That's pretty good. That's real good. I mean, I won't tell you what I was expecting because you probably have chosen them for tonight or something, but I, I won't. But it, it is refreshing. And in missions verses, there are often the same verses that are used over and over and over again. So I'm going to start in Genesis. I, I hope you haven't heard a lot of mission sermons from Genesis chapter 1, but here goes. I want to pick up the reading with the sixth day of creation. So I'm going to start with verse 24 and then read to the end of that chapter. So would you give careful attention to the reading and the hearing of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word? Then God said... Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth and their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, and it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. May God add his blessing to his word. Father, we, as we open your word together, we are totally dependent on your Holy Spirit to explain and apply to our hearts. So lift up Jesus before you, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Uh, this passage is celebrated in Psalm 8, and then again it is brought up again in Hebrews, and I'm just going to read a couple of lines from Hebrews chapter 2 building on Psalm 8, where it says, For God did not subject the angels to, the, uh, to angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking, but he has testified somewhere, saying, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Then he comments, For in subjecting all things to him, he has left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. But we do see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor 
that by the grace of God he may taste death for every one. So this morning we want to consider the whole question about what ordinary missions looks like. I grew up on the mission field. My earliest memory is standing on the deck at three years old. I can remember that actually. On the deck of the Queen Mary with the three smokestacks and scared to death when they blew that big fog horn. My parents were going as missionaries to then Belgian Congo and had to go through Europe for a while to learn French. And so early years were all spent in Congo. Uh, later on, after there was a revolution there in 60 that some of you know about, my dad was called to work in interior Brazil. And so my teenage years were all in, in, in Brazil and, and that part. Then when I went into ministry, it was really the hope of being able to take the gospel to places where it wasn't being preached. And so the Lord led Mary Jo and me to serve in Portugal, uh, Portugal and Europe, parts of Europe, for about 20-some 20, 20 years. Uh, mostly Portugal, but four wonderful years in Poland, except it was dark and gray, but it was a great place to minister. My son, who is a student at Covenant Seminary, was discussing with me uh, the pecking order in, in religious vocations. <clears throat> um, and so he said, well, Dad, don't you really think that missionary is at the top? And yes. I'm a little biased, of course. So we had it all worked out. There's missionary, and then there's church planter, and then there's senior pastor, and, you know, okay, you've been all three. <laughs> okay, and so you keep going, you keep going down. Uh, the reality is the world doesn't look at it that way. Uh, a study I read some years ago talked about credibility. Doctors, Barrett, doctors are way up there. Lawyers are little. <clears throat> but you know where preachers are? Just below the used car salesman. So stick with the religious characterization. However... There is something about in the ministry that we tend to glorify the missionaries. And as a missionary kid, I loved the missions conference. Uh, I was a little bratty, I suppose, and my dad would have his display. And I would go up and stand there and say, do you need somebody to read that Chaluba Bible to you? And then I'd read it, or sometimes they'd say pray, and I would actually just count to ten, but they couldn't tell the difference. Um, <laughs> I was a pretty bratty missionary kid. But there was something exciting about realizing that this is glamorous coming from, you know, the heart of Africa or interior Brazil or doing things like that, telling great stories. My dad tells stories. Oh, my word, does he tell stories. But, you know, once a year we can have our missions conference and it may make us feel really good. But there's always with the missions conference, there, there are just several things going on. One is the grass always looks greener on the other side of the fence. And, you know, as a mish kid, I'm looking, I hear all the missionaries, man, I want to go there. I want to be there. I want to get on that good ship. I want to, you know, I want to do all those things. But the reality is that if you take away the glamour, which you should, because the reality is that living for Christ, no matter whether, whether it's in Mississippi or in Malawi, living for Christ, once you're in there, is a day-by-day -day proposition. Uh, we may talk about at our missions conference getting excited and, and more, and we just came from missions conference up at Trinity, and it's, I think you said them, pray, go, give. Pretty much that's it. And generally, we might not say it, but we're thinking more. Pray more, give more, go more. Right? It's the unspoken part. But I want to challenge you, 
to just avoid the whole guilt thing where you say, well, we, we had our toes stepped on for three days. Forget the guilt and, and really ask how you can pray, give, go better. Maybe you're up to here already. Now, I realize all of us have places where we can improve. But instead of the guilt complex, just ask the Lord. Be asking, Lord, how can I serve more fully? How can I more experience more of Jesus Christ in my work and my ministry, including what he's doing around the world? But understanding that ordinary ministry, ordinary mission is really going to be the things that we are doing six days a week and not just our Sunday activity. I know that we separate secular and spiritual work. Um, Martin Luther supposedly said that even secular work, so-called secular work, is worship to God. And I don't want to try to argue for some dualistic, there's the secular work, the everyday stuff, and then there's the Sunday work, but I am really concerned about the six days. I'm concerned that very often we look at Sunday and the activity of the church and and it's all about Sunday activity, and we lose sight of the missionary importance of what we are doing Monday through Saturday. I want to talk about ordinary missions. I know it doesn't happen here, but sometimes I hear people <laughs> saying in other places, what does our pastor do all day? All he does is get him preach on Sunday, and that's it. Like, what's he doing? And then you go visit the doctor, and he said, yeah, preachers, they're the ones having the heart attacks and the stressed out and everything. What's wrong here? People are saying, what is the preacher doing? They only see his Sunday activity. They don't understand the day-to-day living for Christ. And so I want to call on you this morning to understand mission where it fits you, not just missions conference fit, but everyday fit. And ask the question, how does my ordinary work serve the mission of God? And I'm not saying, oh, I work to make money to give money to mission. No, I'm asking, how do you reflect Christ? How is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ reflected through your everyday work and ministry? So let's ask three questions. First of all, what we mean by mission. What are we trying to understand by mission? Second, we look brief, like what is work, as if we don't know. But yeah, maybe we should look at work a little bit. And then we'll talk more specifically is what it, how is it that we reflect and can reflect the glory and the grace of Christ in our ordinary uh, work and ministry. First of all, what is, what is mission? Uh, basically, what we are called to do. And here's why I come to Genesis. Uh, I have had so many missions talks that are based on the Great Commission, which is wonderful, and other good missionary verses. They are wonderful verses, but they often give the idea that you have your normal life and then the missionary work is something, something beyond, something where you just, just, notice that, just share the gospel. Genesis, in Genesis, God created man. It says he created man and woman in his own image. And he said, before sin came into the world, he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Before there was the mess up of sin, God had already given mankind a mission, a mission to extend and reflect His glory into all the world. And so we see under creation, uh, man was first given dominion. And I, and I want to express this dominion under God. 
Man was called to rule, to rule over God's works, but to rule under God, which means to take the rule of God and to apply the work, the rule of God, into all the world. In other words, to live in response to God, reflecting His authority back to Him in worship and praise and obedience. Man was also given a relationship, male and female, He created them given a love relationship, a love relationship that in the grace of God also produces life. And so man and woman together were to reflect the love of God, to reflect, yes, love God and love one another because in your love you are experiencing, you are fleshing out the love of God, a love of God that is productive, that leads to growth and to more life. And then he put them in a garden uh, to work. It says to tend the garden, to cultivate the garden. Now, I love kind of thinking about that. I used to, when I was a little boy in Congo, I wanted to copy my parents, and so I asked for a little plot of land to be my garden. And uh, we got a great start. But when those weeds came up, well, it got boring. And uh, I I think my garden got choked out. I don't think it survived. I think between the ants and the weeds, I think it's history. But it's hard for us to imagine gardening or cultivating without fire ants and floods and hail. We had some hail recently up in Jackson. It's hard for us to imagine work in a non-sinful environment, but God put Adam and Eve in the garden. He said to cultivate that garden, to work, to cultivate it. What do you do without trouble? I suppose it meant planting, taking off shoots, maybe pruning, um, maybe deciding this is our main course tree, this is our salad tree, this is our dessert tree. I'm not sure what they're doing, but one thing I believe they were to be doing is taking their food from this garden, taking care of the garden, and then extending the garden. As God gave them more children, those children would be taught to love the Lord, to follow Him, to worship Him. They were to be taught to love one another, to get married and have children, and those children needed to eat. And so they would be extending the garden. And the picture there then is of God creating man in a beautiful garden of Eden, in a, in a wonderful setting, with everything they needed under him to extend the garden and spread the glory of God till the glory of God, the love of God, the dominion of God, the provision of God would be spread to all the world. So before the fall, there was a mission to declare God's glory, to spread His glory. Well, then the fall came, and instead of spreading the glory of God, the man and the woman were blaming each other. There was shame, uh, death. Their bodies immediately started to die. Uh, the, the whole creation was cursed because of it, so the cre- creation is falling apart and, and working against itself in many ways. But God came in even in that setting. And in chapter 3 of Genesis, when he brought the punishment and the consequences, but there was also hope from the very beginning. He didn't abrogate, he didn't annul their dominion responsibility. He didn't annul the love that they were supposed to have. He He didn't annul or cancel the fact that they would have to work. All these were there but with difficulties because now they were separated from God. They had decided they didn't want to obey God and now they had to live with the consequences of sin and death and the misery that every one of us experiences and contributes to in our own special way. 
But even in chapter 3, we see that God doesn't leave Adam separate. God went looking for Adam and Eve. He went after them, and he called them, and he brought them to the point of having to confess, to admit what they had done before him. And he didn't split them up and say, well, now marriage is finished. No, he said, it's going to be hard. You're not going to get along so beautifully as you did before. There are power struggles. There will be pain in childbirth, but there will be children. And work won't be fun. Now you have thorns and thistles, and by the sweat of your brow, you will, you will earn your living. You will grow and, and tend your, your fields. But you'll have food. I'm going to provide for you. And in all this, the only hope, the big hope you have is not just that life continues, but that life is continuing to that point when I'm going to send the son of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. The Redeemer is coming. The Savior is coming. He's coming in the flesh. He's coming as a human. He's coming to destroy the power of the evil one. So carry on. Keep working. The mission was still intact. The mission to fill the earth with the glory of God was still intact. And so I believe it is intact today. And what that means is that we may not go to another country, but wherever God has put us, we have a mission to live for Him, even though it's difficult to live for Him, to experience His grace, to live in hope, and to struggle on, because as we struggle, we are reflecting our hope, our help is from God, and we express the glory of God wherever we are. So what then is work? If mission is to declare, to spread the glory of God, what then is work? And I wonder about this sometimes because we are such a playing society. We work so hard at our play. I mean, a lot of us do. And we tend to define work in terms of a time clock. And, and we say, well, this is where you work an eight-hour day, you work an eight-hour day, then the rest is what? And so in many cases, they're, they're, they're men, I don't know why I'm saying men, but more men I think of, focused on work and don't realize that a marriage and a family take work too. Uh, or, or we'll say that if you're taking care of your family, you're not working. And, 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 and so we have these confused ideas. There's a lot of work that you're not paid for. Uh, I think a biblical view of work would put work as opposite uh, leisure or celebration of that work. God worked six days in creation, and each day he said at the end of the day, it is good. So he, there was some kind of celebratory ending of that day, but the the seventh day, he rested. He took time off from it to celebrate what he had done, to celebrate what he had done. And so work really is not just at the shop or at the factory, but work is everything we do during our day, which is taking care of needs. Uh, I hate to say this, possibly shopping. That's the worst of all. Give me weeds any day. But all the little piddly things that are part of our daily life are part of our work. And so when Scripture is calling us to work six days till you labor and do all your work, it doesn't mean like you work eight hours and you're done. No, you're, on, you're, you're like a mom, I guess, the best example. 
You're like a mom. You're on duty 24-7. And so as the Scripture calls us to work, we're called to work in the power of God, and I believe that this work, that we often get it, get confused, and we think that mission work is some kind of special holy work that we do in a holy place with, with a holy agenda, and we lose sight of the fact that every moment we live is a moment of opportunity of mission and living for God. And so you put the idea of mission, of moving the glory, spreading the glory up. We're not going to spread it unless we have it here, unless we're now experiencing the glory of God. For the church to light up in mission is not what we do at a missions conference once a year, but to light up in mission is that we have a sense of the purpose of our lives and to glorify God, that we're living and moving by the power and the grace of God. Some of us wrestle with perfection. I say us. I'm using that generically. I'm not sure I'm a perfectionist. Yeah, I'm a little bit. Some of us are perfectionistic. One of my favorite Old Testament verses is, dead flies make the perfumer's oil stink. That's a great verse. I, I haven't figured out how to do a mission talk on that one yet. But it's just something, you have your car, you, you know, you got your car, there's no dents on it, you go to Walmart, bang, it's got its first dent, and it's ruined. That's sort of perfectionistic, isn't it? Others, others of us, at times, are just plain frustrated with our work. It's just, you know, one step forward, two steps back. Other times our work... Um, Sometimes we hate our jobs. Lord, thank you for my job, but I hate it. Um, sometimes we, we feel like our work is who we are. Work and family. So if your kids mess up, then you're a failure. <laughs> well, that's depressing. God calls us to work. And I really believe that if we look at mission as just what somebody else does somewhere else, we've lost sight of the ordinary aspect of what it means to live for Christ. We're on call, all of us, before the Lord 24-7. Psalm, um, Psalm 90 says in the end, Lord, confirm the work of our hands. We are really weak, but Lord, you confirm the work of our hands. God will work, but it doesn't mean anything. Ecclesiastes goes into it again, and we work, we work, and then you die. But God gives meaning, working for him, to him. Colossians, Colossians says, Do your work heartily as unto the Lord. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So that means that all the piddly, ordinary things of life, if it's understood as an act of worship to God, suddenly gives meaning and purpose and also reflects the glory of God. Paul closes that wonderful chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 on the resurrection. He said, Be steadfast, immovable, always knowing that your work is not in vain in the Lord. The little things that no one sees, that no one knows about, those things are valuable in the Lord. Uh, my wife and I are foster parents with uh, Bethany Christian Services, and we get the, we, my wife, Let's, let's, let's tell this honestly. Um, but we get the babies when they're just from the hospital until the time has passed that statements are signed. Everything's signed until they can be adopted or found a good home for. And so, as you know, with little babies, they, they don't keep a clock exactly, and they have to be awake in the night. And the last one we had this last week uh, liked to be awake and crying from 10 o'clock until 2 
Um, so I slept. Thank you. My wife shut the door. Bless her. Bless her. But she, you don't see that. And the few times that I've had to hold an inconsolable baby, I'm thinking like, Lord, this is not for me. Uh, what do you do? Um, you know, there's only three or four variables, but, you know, like, you know, if I have to change their clothes, there's an hour. It just takes me a while. But the point is the invisible things, the things that you're doing even when nobody sees you, even when nobody knows, are reflecting the glory of God. The angels see it. If nothing else, the angels see it. And so we're called to ask the question, if we want to be really a mission, a mission-filled church, a mission-active church, it's more than praying and giving and going, it's living Living mission. So the question then is how, how can our lives really radiate, normal life, radiate the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ? I confess, there are so many times when I'm so glad nobody's watching and listening to what's going on in my heart. I have a problem driving in Jackson traffic. I mean, okay, that's a little thing. I can tell you about my little sins. I can't tell you about my big ones. I get annoyed. And, you know, people going slow in the left lane talking on the cell phone? Okay, it's no big deal in light of eternity, but I get mad. You know, I say things, or think them. No, I say them, actually. <laughs> what, is, what does it mean to love Jesus and be cursing bad drivers. I mean, you see where I'm going with this? I was coming down the elevator at Baptist Hospital a few months ago, and somebody walked in the elevator, a group of people, God is so good, they said. God is so good. What did that do to the atmosphere in that elevator? Somebody obviously had come out of a room where somebody had been sick and God was bringing healing, and they came... Oh, God, you're so good. It was spontaneous. It was real. And it just was beautiful. God is so good. And I thought, man, how many times do I ride the elevator? I never say, I don't talk to strangers. I'm not saying you have to be what you're not, but is Christ really living in you? For the gospel to impact our lives. Actually, we need the gospel in our lives. I need to be reminded again and again and again that I'm not worthy. Because I have to do funerals, I think about funerals and what I want sung at my funeral. And, I'm, and my problem is I know that the songs already are old-fashioned, nobody knows them, but... One of, them, one of them I want to sing is, I'm not worthy the least of his favor because Jesus left heaven for me. The word became flesh. He died as my Savior, forsaken on dark Calvary. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. This dull tongue repeats it, but my heart gladly beats it. I'm not worthy. I need to be reminded every day that Jesus loves me not because of what I've done, but because of what he did for me taking my sins, the debt of my sins, and nailing them to the cross. 
I need to be reminded that I'm dead to sin. I don't belong to sin. I belong to Him. And because of that, there is no temptation that comes that God won't provide a way of escape. I have the Holy Spirit in my life to live by the Holy Spirit, to give glory to God, to give praise to God in my family, in my car even, in my thought life, in the elevator, in Walmart. That's kind of hard, but it's hard. (laughs) But in Walmart even. Ordinary living for Jesus is a phenomenal display of the glory of God. It's not manufactured, now we do witness. It's living. It's being. It's drawing on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to make our whole life an act of worship. I was telling your pastor a while ago, we were talking in the hall, and it says, it's kind of funny to me how we... Funny, I mean that respectfully, of course. (laughs) I better preach the choir. <laughs> Let's be safer. No, it's kind of funny to me how we sometimes think that, you know, invocation, snap. Now we're in worship. When half of us aren't even in here sometimes, I don't mean y'all, but in our church, half aren't even there by the invocation sometimes. You don't turn worship on and off. We are living worship. Worship, as he said in his prayer, worship is going on in heaven 24 7, all the time, through all eternity. The angels and the creatures around the throne of God are worshiping him. And we are called to get with the program and be worshiping Him in our daily lives. And when we come together, it's coming together to worship Him together. So it's not turn it off, turn it on. But we are in worship before the throne of God, living by the grace of God, shining as lights in the world. So how can your ordinary, ordinary stuff of life be a mission? living for His glory, extending His glory, living by His help, not praying more necessarily, but praying better, praying with your heart in it. Most missionaries won't admit it, but actually, if it's a choice of having a $5 support with your heart and soul, on a good day, we know that that's better than a $500 that you're just putting it out there. It's the love, the compassion, the authenticity. It's not how much, but how real. And so as we are in this missions conference this week, this is where I want to start this morning, is that your, your ordinary work it needs to be every bit as part of the mission of God as the folks on the, the ships, as the doctors in Malawi, as the people who are in so-called full-time Christian service, God has called all of us to full-time living by the Spirit of God, preaching the gospel to ourselves, living for the glory of Jesus Christ. I don't know much about technology, but I know that those computer screens have pixels, little light things, and when some go bad, you know, there's little blips. But just think of ourselves as pixels in the grand screen of God's plan and picture of what he's doing around the world. And we're all connected. 
We may be down here on the corner, and somebody else may be over in Africa and this part of it, but we're all, we're all part of that. There are no special people. We're all special in the presence of the Holy Spirit. May God encourage you as you examine your life, your family life, your, your prayer life, your work life, your time spent with friends, and just asking the question again and again, how is my life radiating the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would you pray with me?